magic and magical people, the unnatural order is all around us. There are white witches, black witches, demons, vamps, werewolves, shapeshifters, ghosts. It's a protoplasmic party of creature features out there. But unless you know where to look, you won't find them. I know where to look. My name is Harry Strange. The vampires were tearing through the cops like sharks through Cub Scouts at a swim camp. One officer, firing into the chest of a vamp, continued to fire even after the vamp had cut his throat with a razor-sharp fingernail. Another cop was crushed against the wall by a vamp pushing a cruiser into him. The vamps weren't turning to humans, they weren't even feeding. They were just killing for the joy of killing. I awoke and jumped into a fighting stance. The room was tomb silent and at first I didn't know where I was. Generic desk next to a well-used dresser with a television sitting on top. There was a second bed near the window, Carmen laying in it, lightly snoring. I'd have to mention that to her later. I remembered. We were in a hotel after having escaped a vampire frenzy in St. Augustine. I was, uh, am, on a mission to capture or kill a vampire named Vale. No doubt he was the one who attacked the hotel, killing everyone there, waiting for us. Today would be my turn. The favorite strikes back. That's me, the favorite. I started telling Carmen the story last night while we drove. It was 1931. I met my wife-to-be and had my first encounter with vampires. How we escaped the frenzy and drove all night until we got to my brother Quinn's house. I remember waking up the same way that first morning. My name was different back then. In the 30s, I went by my birth name, Romeo Chase. I woke up on a couch I didn't recognize. Startled, I drew my gun, but put it away when I saw a picture of my late mother and father. I walked to the mantel and held the picture. They died in an automobile accident when Quinn and I were young. Quinn had taken over the family home. After a moment, I went upstairs to the guest room where Maddie was sleeping. About six months ago, Maddie's uncle, Victor Nero, had hired the Roscoe Agency to protect his niece. That task had fallen to me. Maddie and I had gotten very close. I watched Maddie sleep. A lock of her auburn hair dropped across her slightly olive skin, and I gently pushed it back. She smelled sweet, like vanilla. Her lips were ruby red and molded into a small yet permanent pout. Maddie's slight chest rose and fell in a hypnotic pattern. I would gladly die for her, knowing that she would never ask for such a sacrifice. I wanted to protect her and fulfill her. She was my life. I knew that if anything ever happened to her, I would die as well. I went downstairs where Quinn was already awake. The smell of bacon filled the room. Morning, Romeo. I had Mildred prepare breakfast. I trust it will be to your liking. I'm sure it will be. Have you given any more thought to the men who attacked us? I have, and I did some additional research this morning. I stand by what I said last night. Vampires? Nosferatu? That's what your degrees and strange gadgets lead you to believe? Strange and supernatural beings attacked us? Not supernatural. Unnatural. Unexplained phenomena. Not mystical. Remember, magic is just science we don't yet understand. According to the literature, vampires were once human. Well, most of them anyway. They were abominations of man and God, if you believe in the religious component, which they clearly do. My guess, though, is that there's some type of virus mutation passed on with the exchange of fluids, maybe from one of the less lethal bites. 
Their breed has been around almost as long as man. They seem to have some physiological requirement for a constant influx of blood, an aversion to sunlight and garlic, probably one of its enzymes. I'm not sure if it is eugenics gone bad or just the result of a renegade gene, but they have a lifespan of hundreds if not thousands of years. I apologize if this hypothesis doesn't fit in with your view of reality, Romeo, but this is what the evidence points to. It doesn't matter if it fits. If you believe that's what it is, then that's the assumption I'll go with for now. How do I kill them? Well, literature offers several selections. A wooden stake through the heart, fire, as you discovered. Showing them a cross will piss them off, but the shadow of a cross touching them will ignite them. I don't really understand why. The only way to be sure of death is to sever the spinal cord from the brainstem. Cutting off their heads? Yes. How is it a wooden stake through the heart works, but six slugs from a thirty-eight does nothing? I don't know. There really isn't a lot of literature on this. No, I suppose not. But how could a virus... Those vampires were tearing grown men apart, ripping out their throats. They were biting others. What kind of virus does that? There are several viruses that alter the pathology of human behavior to barbaric levels. Some forms of rabies send their victims into rages that require sedation and isolation. Lysaviruses, from the Greek word meaning frenzy, can alter their host's behavior to ghoulish and gruesome behavior. Some viruses can increase the victim's strength 100-fold, making them men of gargantuan power. Some victims will shout until their vocal cords bleed. Okay, but immune to bullets? I don't know. Perhaps. Ah! That's Maddie! Maddie, what is it? That... it... it just startled me. Oh, just an experiment. Is that a real... Yes, the local farmer saved it for me when he butchered the pig. I believe that with the proper ingredients mixed with the correct level of electricity, I'll be able to communicate with it. Fascinating. What could you possibly say to a pig's brain? Do you have any idea how similar our brain is to a pig's brain? Some more than others? What is this? Look here. Do you see how these dials pulse? That's a low level of brain activity. I've managed to keep it alive for three weeks so far. The critical period is four weeks. They never seem to live past four weeks. I am, however, able to preserve them indefinitely using radio waves. It's that kind of talk that got him beat up a lot as a child. Radio waves? Yes, Miss Nero. Radio is made up of waves, and these waves are simply frequencies. I believe that everything operates at certain frequencies. You, me, our organs, all have a resonant frequency of operation. I think, no, no, I believe, we can use those frequencies for medical purposes. Imagine, we could operate on people without cutting into them. If we can find the frequency for polio, we can bombard it with a similar frequency and destroy it. I've written several papers on the topic. Careful, Romeo, don't touch that. There are thousands of volts running between those two leads. That's the charge you see running up on them. I've seen devices similar to these, Dr. Chase. Please, call me Quinn. If Mr. Tesla of New York has devices much like these, Quinn. You've met Nikola Tesla? Once, while in New York. Mr. Tesla was hoping for some funding from my uncle. We toured Mr. Tesla's lab. It was both frightening and fascinating. Like something out of a Hollywood movie. My uncle didn't fund him, but he did. What did you see? Sit down, Miss Nero. You must tell me all about Mr. Tesla. As fascinating as this is, I need to take a ride to town. I'll be back before dark. Quinn, don't let anyone in or out. Understand? 
Of course. Miss Nero and I will have a wonderful time together. What was Tesla like? I'm done getting the runaround. Talk to me, Roscoe, or I swear... Ch Chase! Have you gone crazy? Listen to me. No, you listen. What the hell did you do? What the hell did you not tell me? What were those things at the ink spot? Victor Nero is into a lot of things. Most of them I don't understand, but I swear to you, if I thought something like this was going to happen, I would have warned you. How would you have warned me? What do you mean? Don't play, Iggy, with me. What words would you have used to warn me? You need to relax, Chase. You disappear with a client, and then you come in here like a crazed drug fiend demanding answers? Keep this up, and the next job you will have will be digging ditches for the WPA. Let me tell you something, Roscoe, old pal. When I'm sure that my Maddie is safe, I'm going across the street and hanging my own shingle. Oh, it's Maddie now. A little familiar for a hired gun, aren't you? What? <sighs> what were those things at the ink spot? Where is Miss Nero? Somewhere safe. Where no one can reach her. Those things ripped out throats and drank blood. Okay. Listen hard, because I'm only going to say this once. You can believe what I am saying or not, but it will save your life. You also have to trust that I haven't touched the sauce. I'll listen, but I'm not on board with the trust right now. Victor Nero is into a lot of things. Hooch, girls, gambling. Lots of guys are gunning for him. Right now he's having trouble with one of the other bosses. Those guys at the ink spot were not mob buttons. The ink spot is, was, one of Nero's places. The hit last night was a message to Victor. They didn't know you or Miss Nero would be there. I unloaded my revolver on one of them. Snakes attacked Maddie. Those guys, they don't go down as easy as our local muscle does. You want to expand on that for me? Have you ever heard of vampires? As a matter of fact, I have. And it's just as hokey now as it was the first time I heard it. No, Chase. It's all true. Vampires, devils, ghosts, they are all out there. So you want me to believe that Frankenstein is going to come crashing through that door and chase me around the room? You don't have to believe in a bullet for it to kill you. I can see a bullet. You can see the others if you know where to look. Do you know how crazy you sound? Yes. One of those things grabbed Maddie and told her she was supposed to marry someone named Vale Piervim. What was that all about? Piervim is the guy muscling in on Victor. He's the master of a vampire colony. I don't know about him marrying Nero's niece. No one's marrying Maddie unless Maddie says so. Where's Nero now? I said, where's Nero now? What are you going to do, Chase? Shoot me? <laughs> Stop crying like a little Nancy boy. That was just a toe. Where's Victor Nero? I don't know. I swear. I've been working with you long enough to know when you're lying. <laughs> you're finished here, Chase. I'll have you brought up on charges. I'll have Nero's men find you and throw you in an incinerator. I'll shoot parts of you you'd rather not have shot off if you don't tell me where Nero is right now. Try the armory. If anything happens to Maddie, I'll be back. And it won't be your foot I shoot. Whoa. I didn't think I would ever get used to traveling with the scepter of Estrada. My stomach felt like it was being squeezed by a giant fist, but I was able to make the necessary arrangements. I heard Carmen approaching and I hid the scepter. By the time she closed the sliding glass door in the balcony, I was sharpening my dagger of Yago.
Morning, sunshine. Morning. Wow. You look beautiful. Thanks. It's amazing what a full eight hours of sleep can do for you. What's with the arsenal? There was the dagger, my gun and extra clips, a modified water gun filled with holy water, a modified three fifty seven filled with trank loads, and a few things she couldn't identify that I didn't volunteer what they were. Are you going to war? Wait until you see what I have in the trunk. But these are my secret weapons. I reached into the bag and pulled out the three stones. Three more stones for the scepter. Lilith gave those to you? Yep. They'll make me invisible to the unnaturals, something she thought would come in handy against Vale. I think they may work a little bit on sensitive humans. I'll attach these to the scepter today before I go after Vale. Wait, Harry. I thought you said the brothers told you using the scepter was a bad idea. Yes, they did, And but... didn't they say that even though you may use it for good, the scepter will do the work of evil? Well, that wasn't exactly... You shouldn't use the scepter for anything except for what they told you to do with it. But they didn't exactly say, did they? They just said I was to return the stones. Maybe this is part of the process. You should not... Carmen, I'm the favorite. I'm tasked with keeping the human race safe. Taking out this vampire will certainly do that. With the scepter, I'll be able to get directly to his lair, go in unnoticed, and lop off his head. I'll be toasting marshmallows over his body before his little toadies know I'm there. I thought Lilith didn't want you to kill him, just capture him. Eh, she'll live with it. And let's not forget, she's a demon. A very bad demon. An enemy of humans. I'm not really obligated to keep my word with her. Plus, Lilith owes me one, and it's always easier to get... Forgiveness than permission. Yes, I know. Yep. So today I take down Vale. His winking out of existence is long overdue. What should I do? Stay here and put that blocking spell on the door. If the innkeeper or desk clerk invites any vampires in, they can get into any room. This part is very important. If I'm not back by noon tomorrow, you'll need to take my car and get back to Night Falls post-haste. Go to my office and get a key from my desk. You'll know it when you see it. It's just a simple skeleton key, but it unlocks a very special crypt at Lost Creek Cemetery. Once you get in, there's a sword with a series of diamond engravings on its side. Take the sword of diamonds and keep it safe. Everything else must be destroyed. Everything, Carmen, I mean it. Don't save anything. If you see me again in three or four days, you may need to take the sword of diamonds and cut off my head. Do you understand? What? I'm not cutting off your head! The longer time goes by before you see me, the greater chance is that they've turned me. I didn't think you could be turned. Maybe I can't. You'll know when you see me. This is going to be dangerous, Carmen. More dangerous than anything you or I have done. More dangerous than the Sogoths? They were just beasts. Beasts of the Elder Gods, but still just beasts. I'm going up against a vampire. And they're very dangerous because they keep a portion of their humanity. The violent, ruthless portion. Mr. Chase, aren't you a little old for fairy tales about ghosts and goblins? Mr. Nero, the smartest man I know, and I don't mean Jake Roscoe, believes in vampires. That's good enough for me. Now stop lying to me and tell me what's going on. I can't tell you what isn't true. How do you expect me to protect your niece if you won't tell me what's going on? I don't want you to protect my niece anymore. I don't want you or your partner anywhere near my family. Vampires, werewolves, you must have gotten some grain alcohol at that speakeasy. Speaking of which, 
How dare you allow Madeline to go into an illegal drinking club? You were hired to protect her, not corrupt her. <coughs> it wasn't my idea to go to the Ang spot, and that's not even part of the discussion. I'll make it easy for you. Maddie isn't marrying Vale Piervim. Ever. Why would I want her to marry <coughs> Piervim? I hate that bastard. <coughs> you okay, Mr. Nero? My no. health? My niece and my business partners are not your concern, Mr. Chase. I suggest you leave before I call the police. <laughs> I suggest you start telling me the truth before I call the police. Or the Undertaker. Hello. I know what's happening. You don't know anything, Chase. <clears throat> Get out of here before I... Yes, I do. It's so obvious. You're an evil little man, you know that? <clears throat> no. Don't bother answering. You just called Pierre from a business partner. But before, when I asked you about him, you said you didn't know who he was. Let's see if I have this straight. You're an old man, and you're dying. When faced with their impending mortality, some people turn towards religion. You turn to a vampire. What's he gonna do? Bite you and give you immortality in exchange for your niece? Answer me, Nero! She... <coughs> wasn't supposed to be part of the deal. I have a terminal disease, and... <coughs> By securing an arrangement with Vela, I will live forever. As a blood-sucking beast? Not that it'll be much of a change from what you are now. Don't presume to judge me, Mr. Chase. I never offered Maddie to him. Good, because she isn't yours to give away. And what are you going to do to prevent it? I'm going to reason with Vale. Why would he listen to you? Because you're going to give me one of your markers so I can get safe passage in and out of Vale's crypt, lair, whatever. And why am I going to do that? What do you have to lose? If I go there and he kills me, you win. If I go there and he doesn't kill me, it doesn't matter because your deal's still good. If you think he might renege on the deal over this, then maybe you shouldn't be doing any business with him. <coughs> Fine, Mr. Chase. I'll give you a marker. I'll even draw you a map. What do you think you're going to do? I'm going to save Maddie's life. Maddie? Miss Nero, you mean? Maddie and I have grown quite close these past few months. Closer than I ever imagined we could be. <coughs> now it's my turn, Mr. Chase. Don't even think about marrying my niece. I would rather see her with a hundred vampires than a Boy Scout like you. I suggest you get out of town for a few days, Nero. But before you do, give Roscoe a call and ask him how soon it's going to be before he can do the Charleston again. The Galactic Football League series is available in print for your e-reader and his audiobooks at scottsigler.com slash GFL. He was raised to hate non-humans, taught how to kill the five alien races with his bare hands. Quentin Barnes doesn't want to be a soldier. He wants to be a quarterback, the greatest to have ever played the game. And to be the best, he has to play the best. And the best teams are mixed species with receivers that jump 25 feet into the air and linebackers that literally want to eat you in a league that spans light years. Where organized crime runs every franchise. Where football has become so brutal that stats not only track yards and completions, but dismemberments and Quentin Barnes must learn to lead a team filled with the same races he's been taught to hate. New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler presents the Galactic Football League series. Available at Amazon.com and in all formats at scottsigler.com slash GFL. 
I was standing by my car, just in my gear. I'm sure that to any passerby, I looked like I was suiting up for war. I was carrying a combination of traditional swords, crosses, stakes, holy water, and typical guns, a small chainsaw, and four charges of C4 explosives. Enough that if I were stopped, Homeland Security would be called in. The stones Lilith gave me snapped right into place on the scepter. It felt heavier now, but it also felt more powerful. I felt the power running from the scepter into me. It was like a low-level electrical charge starting from the hand holding the scepter and moving pleasantly through my body. I could imagine what it would feel like to wield the scepter once all the stones were in it. I felt more energy than I had in years. It was like the feeling of... I shook my head. I needed to keep the power of the scepter under control. I put the scepter back in the trunk and walked back to the hotel room. Carmen was walking out of the room when I got there. What's up, Carm? I thought I told you to stay in the hotel room. Told me, Harry? Really? And how often has that tone worked on me? You're right. I asked you to stay in the hotel. You did. But I really need to know the rest of the story. I put most of it together, but I still have a few questions. You've waited at least 80 years to kill Vale. Surely you could spare a few more minutes? I stood outside Vale's den, an abandoned church made out of dark gray stone. Vines with small fetus-shaped bulbs and a green glow pulsated around the outside of the building. Somewhere, something was emitting a low moan. Walking through the yard to the large, blood-red-colored front door, I smelled the stench of death and the combination of sour milk and feces. I had to stop a few times to convince my stomach to stop rolling. Any symbols of Christianity that had been on the church were destroyed, or so corrupted that it hurt just to look at them, and I wasn't a religious man. I climbed the decaying stairs. The stained-glass windows were bricked over and boarded up. Vampires really liked their privacy. On the boards, written in the same blood-like color as on the front door, were abominations of scriptures. If not for my mission to save Maddie, I would have turned back. Instead, I knocked on the door. A little red eye box slid open. I was looking into a pair of red eye sockets. Seeking salvation, human? I held up the marker from Victor. The vamp grunted something and the door slowly opened inward. If I thought the smell outside was rancid, it was sweet as apple pie compared to what it smelled like inside. I leaned against the wall and waited for my bile to stop churning. The vamp, a skinny thing with skin as gray as a corpse, tapped his foot. He led me into the main area of the church. The pews were useless hunks of rotting worm-infested wood. Vamps in their natural form were staring at me as we walked down the center aisle. One, a female, stepped in front of me and sniffed my chest, then neck. I'm ashamed to admit that the feel of her breath on my neck was arousing. I felt her tongue on my ear, and the sensation went right between my legs. She pulled back and smiled, revealing her fangs. It took a second, but I was able to pull away from her gaze. If not for the thought of Maddie, I'm not sure it would have been so easy. At my count, there were at least 32 vamps that I could see. How many were in the rafters above, or the organ pit to the side, I didn't know. On the altar lay what might have been a deer or a calf. Sitting behind the altar, in the chair normally reserved for the priest celebrating the Mass, was Vale Pierre. Unlike the other vamps, he maintained his human look. An Eastern European type with hair darker than coal, skin the color of ash and bones. He held a chalice in one hand. He motioned me to sit next to him in one of the acolytes' chairs. You've 
made it this far, human. What do you seek? Madeline Nero. She belongs to no man and is therefore no one's property to give away. Victor Nero disagrees, and he was quite willing to give her to me. Victor Nero is a pig. He thinks his money gives him the right to buy and sell humans. Humans are born into freedom, not servitude. <laughs> you know very little of your species beyond your borders. Humans are born to toil and suffer. Some are perfect for service, others for food. Madeline is to be above all of them as my bride. How many brides do you have? Over the years, hundreds. Madeline Nero is sweet and pure. I think she will last as long as her innocence does. And how long can innocence last in a place like this? And that will be up to her. If you have nothing else. You're only doing this to torment Victor. You don't care about Madeline. Why take her? She's done nothing wrong. It doesn't matter. The pond does nothing wrong. But still falls under the greatness of the knight. Or the king. Chess is a game. This is a human life. Human life is a game to me. You are just hairless apes in the face of we immortals. You should be worshipping and gladly suffering our torments. You can't have her. I won't allow it. <laughs> you won't. And how will you stop it? There are ways, Vale. You have no idea what you're dealing with, ape. The vamps had closed in around the altar. None of them dared step on the altar itself, but they had closed in enough where I wouldn't be able to make a quick getaway. I know exactly what I'm dealing with. You're a human who became a vampire either by way of a virus or demon, but either way, you can be killed. Our guest has forgotten his manners. You don't go into another man's house and threaten him. That's rude and boorish. My apologies. We can avoid any future rude and boorish behavior by you giving me your word you'll leave Maddie alone. Maddie? <laughs> is that what this is all about? You are here to beg for the life of the woman you love. I do love her. She is a human being, not a property or a game piece. Maddie's not going to marry you. Is that right, little man? Are you prepared to fight all of us to defend that position? I looked around and the thirty or so vamps I saw earlier seemed to have tripled. They were still not stepping on the altar, but I thought that was because they were waiting for Vale to give the word. If they decided to attack, I wouldn't last long, but I was sure I'd be able to take out Vale before I went down. I was hoping it wouldn't come to that. Not today, Mr. Chase. I must say, I admire your gumption coming here and trying to save the woman you love. I suggest you leave. A few of the familiars will show you to the door. That's not necessary, Vale. It is, if you want to get out alive. Do not return. Nero's markers will not guarantee your safety. Three vamps, including the girl from earlier, stood next to me. I allowed the vamps to lead me down the aisle and was almost to the vestibule when Vale called out. Mr. Chase, 
But let me show you an example of the type of men I am. A curtained area next to the altar opened up to reveal Jake Roscoe held by two vampires. I tried to run to him, but the girl vamp held me tight. Her hands felt like they were made of steel. Vale walked to Roscoe. Roscoe's eyes widened as he tried to shrink back from Vale. As I understand it, Mr. Chase, you shot your boss in the foot in order to get the information you wanted. Once again, I admire you. You're a man who is willing to do what it takes to get what he wants. I think you would make an excellent addition to my column. No, no, don't answer yet. Mr. Roscoe, on the other hand, collapsed entirely too easily to be of further use to me. But don't look so surprised, Mr. Chase. When I took over Nero's business, I took over everything, including the Jake Roscoe private investigator firm. Now watch closely. Nothing will I see. Vale held up his arms and allowed his sleeves to drop, showing thin but muscular arms. Then he looked at me and changed. His eyes filled with blood, fangs ripped through his gums, six-inch-long fingernails sprung from his fingertips. Roscoe was begging, then crying. Before I could blink, Roscoe's throat was torn open, blood pumping out of him like an opened fire hydrant. Next thing I knew, I was thrown out the front door. I tried to get back in, but it sealed shut. I pounded on the door. Then I heard the words that chilled me to my very soul. Perhaps you should check on your brother, Mr. Chase. Accidents happen all the time. I stopped pounding. How did Vale know about my brother? Roscoe. What if all I was here negotiating for Maddie's safety? No! Tonight's episode was written and directed by Tony Sarekia and produced by Brienne Ahern. All material is copyrighted by Tony Sarekia and used with his permission. Featured in tonight's cast were Casey Morgan, William Graves, H. Keith Lyons, Sylvia Galan, Kellen Stennett, Ed Bonza, Brie Ahern, Andrea Lang, and Jason Tyler. Harry's opening theme music was written and performed by Lance Hogan and is copyrighted by Lance Hogan and used with his permission. Contact Lance at his email, h-a-u-g-a-n-l at yahoo.com. Incidental music was written and performed by Kevin McLeod and is copyrighted by Kevin McLeod and used with his permission. Visit Incompetech.com for more of Kevin's music. To keep up with the latest news and information on everyone's favorite private investigator, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash harrystrangeradio. Send your questions, comments, and suggestions to producer at harrystrange.com. For the Harry Strange Radio Drama, I'm Joanne Pruden. Good night.